Hey, everybody. Thanks again for joining us for this uh, installment of our Elevating Generosity and Stewardship podcast. My name's Chris Willard. I'm super excited that you're joining us. Um, we got a great guest for you today, our, our dear friend, Larry Osborne. And I'll tell you a little bit about Larry uh, for those of you that don't already know him. Larry's one of these wonderful people that barely needs an introduction. But I will introduce my, my partner in crime and cohort buddy here, Greg Morris. Greg, how are you? Good well, Chris. How are you, buddy? Excellent. So Greg and I nice. are um, Greg and I are with an outfit called Elevate Group. What we do is we work with churches and try to help them elevate generosity and stewardship and giving in their churches. We would be super happy to serve any of you that we could serve if you're looking for some coaching or some help with that. We got a couple of free resources, and I'll tell you a little bit more about those uh, perhaps in a little while. But let's get to the main event, if if we if you will. We're so excited to have Larry Osborne joining us. And um, Larry, thanks for taking the time out of your still incredibly busy schedule to uh, to be with us today, bro. Thanks for having the time to do it. Well, I'm glad to be here. Honored to be here, actually. So yeah. thanks. So for those of you, the few of you that don't know Larry, Larry, of course, has been at uh, North Coast Church for 40 years. He is currently, that's a long time, Larry. That is a wonderfully long time. Uh, currently serves as a teaching pastor and a kingdom ambassador. Was, of course, the lead pastor for years. And now, now of course, Chris Brown is serving as lead pastor there. And Larry is continuing to be a part of the pastoral staff team and kind of doing what he does. He does best. So, uh, Larry, our topic, of course, today is eventually we want to talk about the unique opportunity that we have to disciple and encourage the people in our congregations that God has blessed with capacity, with much, with resources. But before we get into that specific topic, could we just take a few minutes and have you just give us a quick update on how things are going at North Coast? Like, what was 2020 like for you guys? And how, how have you moved into 2021? Just give us the, give us the weather report. Well, you know, it's, uh, it, it really is like a weather report in the sense that all across the country, and I'm mostly I'm working with American pastors and just a small amount of stuff overseas and American churches. But, uh, uh, and I have the privilege of working with so many different tribes and denominations as well. Uh, what I've, I've found is like a weather report. It's completely different. It can be sunny as all daylight out here in Southern California, and it can be snowy somewhere else in the country. So it, it's really been a different thing. But uh, a few things have been pretty consistent. And one of them is actually a great encouragement to me about the body of Christ. Uh, as a whole, uh, there's always been this criticism about uh, uh people being consumer Christians, you know, the idea they make choices. And I've always pushed back a little bit on that with the idea that, well, anytime you have a choice and you make that choice, you're a consumer. And some of those who rip on, quote, consumer Christians make the same choices they do, but they don't like Starbucks. They like the one-off mom and pop shop, or uh, they don't like Walmart or Target. They like something local, whatever it would be. And I go, that's still a consumer choice at the end of the day. Uh, and uh, I think it's put to lie the fact that the American church is filled with only consumers. The fact that financially so many churches were supported so well when they offered absolutely nothing. Mm. Uh, yeah, we put our sermons online, did the best we could. Uh, we think we really upped our online game significantly. But still, there's a ton of other great stuff that was out there already. 
and and uh, Jesus talked a little bit about the hard and about money. And I think the fact that there has been such strong support in so many instances, the actually the vast majority of them financially, uh, says something significantly uh, better uh, about the local church than we think. I think sometimes we call it consumer uh, when they go somewhere that meets their family needs a little bit better because as leaders, we have a parish mindset. Hey, I own you. <laughs> I led you to Jesus. I, I helped put your marriage back together. So, you know, somehow I own you. But if, if we're just elective Sunday school classes and God's great church in each of our towns, uh, then that's not, not so bad. So that's actually been one of the good things. Now for North Coast, um, we are here, and I'll kind of bite my tongue. <laughs> In some areas, I'll just simply say we're, it's a more restricted place than some others. And so we are actually, because of our size and complexity, by the way, we don't think this would uh, be a, a prescription for other churches. We've helped many open around here and given them advice, uh, support, and help much earlier. But we're actually having our very first indoor services as an indoor option this upcoming weekend. So it has been a long, long time with about five or six outdoor ones. And prior to that, just again, because of the complexity of our campuses, all of our services, our venues, uh, even needing because we're video venue driven, uh, LED walls, which were hard to come by for a period of time. Uh, it's It's been a strange thing, but we've seen our, our commitment up and to the right, our service projects up and to the right. So uh, I'm just amazed because I would have never guessed that in the first part of this COVID experience. If you told me uh, how long it would last for us and all of this, I would have gone, oh, my gosh. Uh, lives changed, uh, community impact, uh, finances, everything would have been a disaster. And it's been anything but. So, Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Hey, if you're just joining us, we're talking with Larry Osborne. He's one of the pastors at, at, at North Coast Church multi-site church there in Southern California. And our, our topic today is about generosity and stewardship and giving and how do you elevate those things in your church. And in particular, we want to talk with Larry in a little while about the whole idea of how do you uniquely engage the people in your congregation that God is blessed with, with, with wealth or with capacity or perhaps simply just a little bit more than, than a typical person. I'm here, of course, with my my uh, partner Greg Morris and Greg, why don't we dive in and just start kind of maybe talking with Larry about just some basic uh, issues related to generosity and stewardship, and then we can kind of take it from there. Yeah, yeah. So, so Larry, you know, I, churches have churches have strategies and, and kind of systems and processes for for pretty much everything they do for worship, for evangelism, for for group life, for discipleship, for family ministry. But a lot of times they don't they don't really have a a hard and fast strategy around generosity and stewardship. Why is it important that they have that strategy? Why is it important? That, because sometimes they just assume, hey, that's going to just, that's going to happen as a natural byproduct of everything else that we're doing. Why is it important to have that strategy? Well, actually, we always do have a strategy. <laughs> the only question is, is it a good one or bad one? <laughs> uh, the idea to ignore it completely or say, oh, this is off limits. We're going to focus on other things. That's a strategy. And so I'm not so much a fan of strategies. I call that the watering schedule as I am the fruit. And so every now and then I'll find a church that is so organic and doesn't hardly do any of the strategic things. And the fruit is really good. Uh, then I go, well, great. Why in the world would you follow everybody else's watering schedule when right now it's working wonderfully for you? But there are a couple of things that tend to be the pattern. 
you see over and over in strategy. And I'd actually like to step back and say one thing before the actual how-tos, because uh, a lot of times we start with the assumption that, that people give division and we paint big vision. And what I think most people don't understand is people don't actually give, especially sacrificially, division. They give to success with vision. Uh, and uh, we've all had people, uh, if you, any lead pastor uh, on, on this podcast right now, you know what it's like to have people come to you with their vision, wanting your time, your money, your energy, your people. Uh, and how many times we have to say no to great visions uh, unless we either know the person very well and believe in them, uh, or let's be honest, once in a while, throw a dime at it just to get them off our case, uh, or uh, they have a track record that says, wow, this is a really good investment. So to me, that's the actual uh, starting place. And whenever I find the places that seem to have no strategy, but really do kind of an organic one, the thing underneath is when they go to raise money, they raise money for things that work. Uh, and, and people uh, jump aboard and say, I want to be a part of that. Because you can have all the other strategies in line. And if you, if you don't have fruit that says, hey, where you invest in the future is going to have the same kind of fruit in the past. It's really, it's really hard to do. Uh, but, but I, I think that, you know, the, the patterns are pretty simple. Uh, and, and, and one of them is we, we need to understand that those who supply us the seed that we plant uh, or supply us financial support, uh, that is one of the gifts when they list the gifts of the Holy spirit, uh, that there's a generosity gift. And you look at those things, there's, there's a helps and mercy and teaching. And some of us have gifts in those areas, but almost all of us are called to do everything in the list. It's just we're going to be really good at something and only like, okay, at, at something else. And uh, it's always amazed me that we thank everybody for everything they do, except for, for their financial gifts. Uh, we acknowledge things. I mean, at the end of any banquet, we thank all the servers, all the people who did this, you know, over and over, we're quick to say, thank you. And, uh, I'm amazed how many churches don't even say thank you to those who give them uh, financial support. Now, a little side story. I used to be a card-carrying, proud, and mention it in sermons. I don't know who gives what or anything like that. Kind of a misunderstanding of the James passage uh, where it talks about a rich stranger coming in and giving him a special treatment. Uh, and and then the things I'm saying right now were, were brought up to me. And <laughs> it was one of those things where I won the argument in the moment. Uh, but on the way home, I knew, no, I'd totally lost. And I went to our elder board and I said, I have no idea why every missionary, why every uh, nonprofit organization, uh, why uh, every college, all of those know where their funding comes from. But somehow we're at North Coast. We make ourselves, uh, uh, we pat ourselves on the back for, for being blind to where the, the gasoline comes from. Mm. <laughs> and we just hope we don't run out of fuel. That is so, I, I love talking to you about stuff like this. I just, I feel like you just, you just uncovered about 10 topics that I want to spend more yeah. time uh, digging into, right? This whole idea that really what you're measuring is fruit. It isn't about, pastors love, don't they, Larry? Pastors love to cast vision. And it's part of the job, clearly, to cast vision. But boy, people will give, as you rightly pointed out, people will give when they see success, when they see fruitfulness. And to be honest, that's smart, right? Because they have a stewardship of the resources God has entrusted to them. So they need to invest it where it's actually producing fruit, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, at North Coast, as, as you know, uh, 
lot of listeners might not, but we're pretty organic. We are not a real system church, though we do have systems. Uh, and uh, when it comes to goals, frankly, we don't have goals uh, that are articulated, that are very long term. Uh, we're always the one, hey, what's your blue sky goal? We go, oh, we don't have one because we're what we call directional. This is where we're heading. We're like Lewis and Clark. Uh, we are uh, trying to find the Northwest Passage and we're going to the Pacific Ocean only to discover along our journey sometimes, ah, there is no Northwest Passage and, oh, our goals of how far we'd get in one year or two years or whatever. We had to portage this area or there was a storm that came in, you know, whatever. But we know where we're moving. And uh, what we find is incredible generosity in a very middle-class church, by the way. Our church is not as wealthy as most people would think mm -hmm. because uh, I'm a boomer and we're in a suburban area. Now we're very middle-class church. Uh, I've, I've never received some of those massive gifts that a lot of my friends talk about. You know, it's like, man, in fact, in 40 years, we had two $500,000 gifts when two guys sold businesses. Those are our largest gifts ever for a church over 13,000 showing up pre-COVID. It's like, are you kidding me? And the size mm -hmm. of the budget. So um, what we found, though, is, is because we make that direction uh, and because we've had all this success, even our light, sometimes organic and not all that systematic stuff people give to. Uh, and then, of course, we've learned over the years to add some more systems so we're not letting things fall in the crack that uh, people would love to give to if they only knew about or they'd respond differently if all we had to do was say thank you, uh, yeah. which, again, was so bizarre. I, I went 10 years without thanking anyone for except for generically uh, on the big, you know, the whole congregation. But I thank you for anything else you did to advance our cost. Anything else you did. You got yeah, it's crazy, too, because, you know, we say, like you said, we say thank you for all kinds of things. But in many churches, someone can give for the very first time. Someone can give what is for them an extremely large gift, and it just goes unnoticed. And instead, we'll stand in front of the congregation and say something like, hey, I want to thank you all for giving generously here at North Coast, which is like the dumbest thing you could possibly say, right? Because... Not everybody is giving, and certainly not the reason who's giving is giving generously, but, you know, at least it's something. Um, yeah, but just so people don't miss here, because I know what you, you meant by that, uh, I think it's great to thank the congregation for being so generous, because it, it helps people understand this is a generous place. What's horrible, and what I think you were pointing out is, if you thank generically the whole crowd, but you don't think the individuals, it's just right over their head. You know, the first time I had a little bit of, hmm, maybe I was doing this wrong, was when I realized uh, a couple of people sold some businesses in our church. And uh, literally uh, within hours, uh, there were radio stations and uh, uh, there were some national organizations that were in contact with them. And it's like, well, uh, how, I mean, how in the world did they know that? And, of course, they had their sales pitch all down and everything. And I happen to believe the local church is God's uh, plan A. There is no plan B. I mean, every pair of church ministry comes out of the local church and better be leading to people uh, coming to Jesus and getting in a local church. And, like, why were we so far behind the game? But it was literally within hours a couple of guys were telling me. And I thought, oh, man, are we behind the game? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, I, I, would, I think it'd be good. You know, let's 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 talk about that favoritism question because you mentioned it, the whole James yeah. thing, because it's a big deal, isn't it, Greg? I mean, the whole there's a lot of our a lot of the churches that we work with. That's a thing that tips people over. Yeah. 
It's a hill to down for a lot of people. Yeah. So, yeah. so Larry, just say a little bit more about what's, what do you think's going on there and how are we? Well, you know, there's, we, we do this with a lot of scripture where we're so familiar with the tree. We miss the forest. We always talk about context. We miss it. And, and there was a period of a time in my life where what I was decided to do to understand context is if I was teaching through a book, I'd memorize it. And I can't tell you how many ahas I had and oh no's I had when I did that. Because as you're just kind of saying it along to yourself, you suddenly realize the flow of it, the bigger picture of it. And that happened to me with that James passage where I realized he's talking about someone comes into your meeting. He's not talking about Lydia and, and, and how thankful he is for her providing this. He's not talking like he talks to uh, uh, Timothy when he writes and says, hey, this is what you do with the rich among you. Uh, he's talking, you know what, a couple of people show up. And one guy looks like he's not got much going on in his life. And another guy's driving up in a new Mercedes chariot. And, uh, and you get all excited about that because you think the wealthy and successful in the world are who you want to uh, rub shoulders with. Uh, you think, oh, this person uh, is going to do something special for us. And he goes on and says in that, uh, in, in James, like, you know, don't you realize the rich of the world as a whole and the powerful of the world that they got there by climbing over people. And uh, it's not, again, not a blanket thing against wealth, not a blanket thing against rich people. But he says, what is wrong with you? Uh, and uh, when you read it in its context, it's not about me go knowing, you know what, this is the best life group leader we've ever had. We need to take him out to dinner and say, thank you. You know, this person writes huge checks that all by themselves can keep the you know junior high ministry going uh, and taking them out and saying, thank you so much. I want to let you know what a difference it makes. That's not what he's talking about at all. He's talking about treating people as we come across them differently, and particularly as they come into the body. Uh, and uh, yeah, I would look at that and I say, that's absolutely terrible. And in our flesh, we fall into that. We've all, any pastor who's been a pastor very long, has met somebody that's got a big hat and no cattle. And they talk the game and you've got this idea or the kind of person, if you don't know much about giving, always somehow gives you the check personally when there's a special drive for food or, you know, whatever it would be. And then later on and you look at it and you realize, you know, they do nothing that's not for show. If there's a list of all the sponsors at the banquet, they'll, they'll host a table. Uh, if there's no list, they won't do anything. And, uh, you know, it doesn't take very long to, to, to learn. Do not judge a book by the cover. Right on. Uh, and uh, yeah. especially do not judge people by their, their outward beauty, their outward success, their outward fame, or their outward finances. And that's what James saying. And when I went to our board and said, hey, uh, we need to change this. I think I've been wrong. That I can know their deepest, darkest sexual issues and all their past, but I can't know anything about their uh, stewardship. Like, help me understand how that works if I'm not mature enough to do that. But I also said, you guys have to trust me. And if you don't, please say no. Uh, trust me that I'm mature enough that I'm not hunting to hang with uh, the ones everybody wants to hang with. Uh, because that, that, that reveals a heart that's not about Jesus. It's about myself. Yeah, that is really so true. Hey, we're talking to Larry Osborne. If you're just joining us, we're talking to Larry Osborne, of course, from North Coast Church and talking about generosity and stewardship and giving. 
and and though you you currently serve as a, a teaching pastor, kind of a you're out there sort of as a, like an apostle, helping uh, advise other pastors and ministries. But you spent a long time as the lead pastor uh, at um, at North Coast before Chris. And could could you talk a little bit about Larry? Talk a little bit about what's the unique role that a lead pastor plays in helping to elevate generosity and stewardship or creating culture or sort of setting an example or teaching? What's that, what's that role that that person uniquely needs to play? Well, I, I think that role uh, starts with the generosity of that person. Uh, if they're not generous themselves, it, it's pretty hard to have the spirit of God coming behind being wind beneath your sails uh, as you do all the things that you try to do. Uh, so you got to really set a standard. And I think if uh, you're not generous yourself, there's always a bit of a uh, little voice in your head saying fraud, 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 uh, every time you're trying to uh, work with other people or challenge them. Because it's much easier to challenge people for what you do. And uh, when you can tell a little bit of your story one-on-one, then it is to challenge people to do what you don't do. Uh, so to me, that's that's kind of the the starting place of this whole thing is mm. is uh, uh, you know Barnabas. Barnabas is my New Testament hero. Uh, I, I love the generosity of his spirit and his heart all the way around. And he doesn't start with telling us the story uh, in Luke in the Book of Acts. Uh, the spirit of God doesn't start by telling us the story of what he did with Paul. He starts by telling us the story of what he did with the field that he had. Oh, good. Uh, and that he had sold it and, and given it away. So I always say, listen, you can preach on Barnabas or want to be Barnabas, but until you give your stuff away uh, uh, to a significant sacrificial thing, God's not going to be able to trust you with true spiritual riches, uh, the kind that lasts forever. And he doesn't get that name Barnabas because he's a super encouraging, the son of encouragement because he's this backslapper, right? He gets it because he's generous. He, he yeah, absolutely generously gives what God has given to him. Absolutely. And then I think a, a, a lead pastor has to understand it's part of life. And frankly, I don't know if, you know, sometimes we take our humanness and we almost call it sin if it's not some like hyper spiritual thing or whatever. And I look at this and I go, I don't know if it's a vestige of our flesh or it's just the way human beings are uh, or whatever, but I got to meet like Jesus did. I meet people where they are. And the truth of the matter is that high capacity donors uh, in every area of their life, their business life and everything are meeting with the leaders. They know the leaders. And so for a, a pastor to have the arrogance to know I'm not going to do that is, is to send a, a slap. Uh, and so I think one of the things pastors have to realize is, listen, throughout your system, the people who are the top of anything, they need to have access to you. And, and one of the things that's discouraging to me, it's not true in smaller churches, but as churches get bigger, pastors get less and less accessible. Uh, we, we need to guard our time. We, we need to make sure we listen to the uh, advice of Jethro to Moses. There's not some long line in front of us, and we're solving every little problem. Uh, but this idea that all I do is hide in my study and uh, I'm too good and too important uh, to return an email or a text or for anybody to get hold of me, uh, I, I go, I, I just don't get this. And uh, I, I always tell pastors, if you expect people to be generous, but you want to act like you're super special, it ain't going to happen. Yeah, that's really you know? true. 
Hey, let me, Greg, before you ask the next question, let me remind people if they want to ask a question of Larry, if there's a topic you want us to hit, if there's something that you, that Larry mentioned that you sort of want him to say a little bit more about, feel free to enter that question in the chat box and uh, we'll try to either respond right away or we'll kind of cue those up and get, get to them kind of as we move toward wrapping up today. Yeah. So, so why, why is it important? I, you touched on this a little bit, Larry, but I think, I think it's worth uh, circling back to a little bit and just emphasizing um, because I think it's, it's, it's so important. Um, you know, we spend time discipling, cultivating, growing groups, all kinds of groups, you know, groups of our, our teachers. Those with the gift of teaching. Those with the gift of, of, of prayer. Those with different gifts. But sometimes our high capacity givers, those that are gifted in that way, sometimes we we don't do as good a job there. Why is that important to have that plan and to, and to, to invest in those people as they invest into our ministries? Yeah, well, what you call a high capacity donor or individual, they really fall into two categories, I, I believe. Uh, one group needs to be discipled like everybody else to give off the top. First fruits giving to the Lord um, <laughs> with uh, a, a generosity that increases. Uh, and so maybe their first part is just give some. you know, you give nothing, then you give something, then you give uh, sacrificially. It's actually changing your life a little bit. And uh, and some people go get there all the way and then maybe a tithe and then beyond a tithe, you know, uh, uh, beyond that. Because if I got a tax problem, that means I've been really financially blessed. So you're discipling them the same as you're discipling anybody else. There's just another zero to it. Then there is another group of people that actually have a gift of giving. Uh, they don't just give off the top because they understand how much God has given to them and uh, everything they have uh, is a gift from above. But they actually have a, a kind of like my wife uh, has a gift of, of helps and mercy. Uh, we have people over all the time and following up and praying for them. For her, it's a delight because it flows out of her gift. For me, it's often a duty. Uh, that has a delight in the deeper part of my heart because it's what I want to do. But it's not I wake up and, you know, uh, after we've done some uh, helps type stuff, I have a different tiredness than my wife does. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now let's carry that over to a gift of giving if there's such a thing, which, of course, there clearly is. Well, that group of people, you want to help them discover that that's really is part of their giftedness. And sometimes discipling them actually is to help them realize how important that is. Not raising them out, but even that it's important because a lot of them have kind of picked up the idea that the fact that God has blessed them with a lot of money and it's birthed in their heart a desire to see that as seed investment in the kingdom is secondary to if they quit their job and went out and had people pay them <laughs> to be a missionary somewhere where they're no good. Uh, I, I remember we have a high-capacity donor at North Coast uh, who's been very generous over time, and he wanted to have lunch with me one time, and uh, he felt he God was just calling him to go to the next step, which to go out in the mission field. And I'm sitting there listening to this guy, and like, uh, like, are you kidding me? Uh, <laughs> you are a lone ranger. You don't work very well with other people, but you have insights into finances that are crazy and you know but if you ever build a team nobody wants to be on your team uh you love getting this money and then channel it into the kingdom of, of god and by the way you can't you know when you speak your boring is all get out you know 
Now, I thought those things. I didn't say them. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like you have the gift of encouragement. Yeah, I tell you, no. But I'm just going like, are you kidding me? Uh, and, and gently, I kind of pointed those things like, you don't want to go on a team and not be the leader, but be down here or all this. Like you're this lone wolf investor and you have this joy that comes with this and you stay up all night if you have to give a five minute testimony. And you and I both know it's not all that good. Uh, but he picked up this message of one kind of giftedness is a greater kind of giftedness in the kingdom. So I think the starting point is to make them understand this is really a good thing. It's not second best. You know, you give money because you aren't willing to teach them third grade. And by the way, we get that. We, we communicate that to them some ways. It's absolutely crazy. And then of course, if that's really their gift, then you help them hone it just like you, like you do with teaching, with helps, with mercy, whatever. Uh, how can you even get better what your giftedness is? Yeah, I think, I think that's brilliant. I do. I mean, uh, I think you could argue, and Greg, you and I have had this thought on numerous occasions. In many churches, the people that God has blessed with wealth, those that perhaps have a high capacity to give or maybe even the spiritual gift of giving, they may be among the most overlooked people in our church because we have a plan for people that are financially struggling, right? We have that. We have benevolence and we might offer Financial Peace University and things like that, all of which is spectacular. But we don't often have very much real focus on the unique kind of discipleship and spiritual needs of the people in our congregation that have. Or, Or an understanding, frankly, of their schedule. We don't know them. You don't have, you know, if you inherited the money, one thing. Uh, but uh, I, I have a, a relative of mine that has been incredibly successful in the marketplace, uh, the kind of success that has him before uh, mayors and governors and presidents. OK, now that's Daniel like uh, opportunity that none of us get. And he was part of a church plant for a while. And it was the strangest thing because they were always bothered. He wasn't showing up to their Super Bowl party. And it's like, guy, he doesn't want to be at your Super Bowl party. He's been at the last four, and this was first one he got to be at home. Uh, he doesn't want to come to your little thing here. He was at the last Academy Awards or, you know, and in fact, has to go to so many of those things. He doesn't even enjoy them. Uh, and and they just, you know, they, they, they thought he had a 40-hour job. Uh, and uh, instead of seeing... Uh, the incredible access, which, by the way, I mean, he's just a, a great walk with God and uh, open about his faith. The kind of, I mean, he he really is being used of the Lord in those doors, but they they just didn't see that as being value. Uh, they they wanted him teaching third grade, and it's like, oh gosh, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, hey, so we got a we got a related to this, we got a question from a listener. Um, Larry. So the question is, what are the, the particular pastoral or discipleship needs of high capacity givers? Well, again, you need to understand, is this one with a gift of giving, which is going to be a different one than one who simply needs to be a good steward, like someone with a, you know, a, just a hourly job is. Uh, because a lot of times, uh, you know, the, the, the widow's might is a lot more than the rich man's tip. Uh, and and so I, I think part of that is is an important part. But to do that, like in every situation, you have to know the person. They can't just be a function. Uh, they can't just be a number. One of the things we've done practically at North Coast is we grew over the years. We would 
we would take uh, our top 200 donors, for instance, and then we would look through the list, the five or six people that were highest on the food chain, and then our campus pastors, and it says, who knows this person best? Okay. And, uh, and then what's the story? I remember one time we had a really large gift from a person, and uh, they just had a normal income stream, but they had just won something like a half million dollars, and are you smarter than a third grader or something like that? Well, you see this large gift comes in, you suddenly go, oh, high capacity, you treat them in a way you shouldn't be treating them. The person was just generous and faithful with this big uh, win they got on a TV show like they were with a regular check as a school teacher. Cool. Uh, so let's not invite them to our next capital campaign, uh, uh, high capacity uh, kind of opening things where you share the vision and make him feel like an idiot. Uh, during uh, the 07, 11, a lot of people have been very high capacity in the past weren't making a penny uh, because uh, their money was in, in, in real estate and it was tied up in assets and those assets were going down in value. And then I would talk to some pastors. I think everybody knows I do a lot of coaching and they'd be complaining about somebody. And I go, dude, you only see their check and their name. You don't know their story. Something's incredibly wrong uh, because I've always felt that if, 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 if we have a plan for donors that does not involve knowing their story, then we are using them rather than helping them. It's good. I think it's Andy Stanley had some version of, we're teaching this for your good, not our good. He had better soundbite yeah. than that. But I go, if, if, if we don't know their story and we don't adapt to their story, we're just using them. It's like putting an announcement out for we need more life group leaders having no idea whose marriage is falling apart, whose life is going okay, and it's it's nuts. Uh, discipleship flows out of relationship. Yeah, I I think the way I heard Andy say it is something like, and I've I've uh, you know we talk about generosity and stewardship because of what we want for you, not from you. It's really about right. It's about. Um, this is a discipleship thing and we really care about you. And I got to tell you something that, that thought that you just shared about how we don't tend to get, we don't tend to know people's story or what's really going on. That is a discipleship principle that cuts across every it's that's for all of our people. Right. Um, Absolutely. Do, do you expect the same thing uh, from a mom with two preschoolers underfoot uh, than you do with a, a stay at home mom? Uh, whose kids are now in school or one that's homeschooling their kids or one that has a uh, executive job or, or, you know, it's all different. I need your story. I always tell people that I coach and mentor numbers lie. Uh, if you stop the number, because numbers are very important, but they're only important because they're a pointer to a story. Yeah. That's and so uh, if you don't, so I have a story I often tell of a guy who called me and, he was in a panic because uh, the church was a couple hundred th thousand dollars in the hole in March or April. So I said, what's your problem? What do you mean? What's my problem? <laughs> it's like, I called you. Oh, what's your problem? About the third time he got it. Like, what do you mean? I go, well, did you have a guy who used to give you $300,000 in, in the month of March uh, and he's died? Then you're a hundred thousand dollars up but where you should have been. You should be throwing a party. Uh, do you have a whole bunch of people who stopped giving? Uh, is there an economic downturn in your town? Uh, the, the, the numbers are a pointer. They're not an end in themselves. And if they're an end in themselves, they're going to lie to you. Uh, and you'll come to wrong conclusions. 
You know, what's really brilliant about that is one of the things too, that I've encouraged pastors to do over the years when let's say you get a, a special gift from somebody and it doesn't have to be, it could be a regular gift for you, Larry, but for that person, it's like a moonshot, right? It's a big gift. One of the best phone calls you can make is where you just call that person and say, listen, you know, I don't really, I don't spend a lot of time looking at giving data all day long or whatever, but I get a heads up when someone gives a really generous gift. Can I ask a question? What in the world is the Lord doing in your life that caused you to give that gift? See, if you, if somebody had asked that question about your person who went on the game show, they would have found out, oh man, I just won this money on a game show. It was so exciting. Or sometimes you'll hear, you know, the Lord's just blessing my business or great things are happening in my family and I'm just feeling thankful. But whatever that person says, it's a window into their story, right? And you get to understand them better, which I think yeah. is really helpful. So, yeah. you know, at, at our size, you know, I said we're middle size, but obviously has some poverty and wealth uh, in between. And an example of that, because uh, I would do the same thing, but just if, uh, within the last few months, we had a really big check, like 60000 come in from somebody. Nobody knew who they were. And so, you know, Chris and his role decided he would make that call. And his phrase was, I want to thank you for, you know, I'm just calling to thank you for your generous gift. No apology. I don't usually look even. It's like they expect you to, uh, I, I want to thank you for your generous gift. And I want to ask why you decided to trust us with such a generous okay. gift, which is a great, a little twist off the phrase I use. I thought, Chris, that's better than mine was. Yeah. Uh, uh, you, you know, when a first-time gift is generous in the thousands of dollars plus, 1000 up, it's like, that's a big gift. Uh, and what, what, what caused you to trust us? Man, that just opened the door to a testimony thing and all kinds of other things. Uh, very powerful. And you don't have to be nervous about that because you're coming humbly. You're not manipulating. You know. yeah. That's good. That's good. So, hey, Chris, you're going to take some more listener questions here. Yeah, we could, but, you know, I'll just men I want to mention something before we do that. If it, you know, maybe this conversation is kind of stirring up for you if you're leading at a local level and you're, you know, you know, you're hearing Larry describe some of this fruit that they've seen uh, from this real organic approach that he and his team have taken to generosity and stewardship over the years, you may be thinking, what, what might that look like in your own context, in your own church? We have a, a, res a free resource. We'd love to have you download if you're interested. It's called a, it's a guide to your church sort of creating radical generosity. It's a little bit like, it's less of a strategy document, Larry, kind of like what you said. And it's more of a, this is tends to be what those sort of churches know that the rest of us don't know, Right. So if that, if that uh, resource would be useful to you, uh, we'll put that in the chat um, box and you can go ahead and download it. It's, it's totally free and you're, you're welcome to do that. Um, let's, let's take that question that we got earlier. Um, you know, of course, we're so excited to be partnering with Exponential for this, uh, this podcast series. And a lot of us look to Exponential for a lot of really great resources if we're committed to trying to multiplication in the church there's no better source, but a lot of people that are plugged into Exponential are church planters, right? They're out there kind of, man, they're just bootstrapping and, and putting together a team and trying to get that figured out. So do you have any, this is the question, I love it. It says, what are some pro tips on communicating generosity to a church uh, plant launch team? Any thoughts for yep, how you yep. start? 
a very much because when I first came to North Coast Church, I didn't plant it. It was a year and a half old, but it was me in a school, 70 adults. My office was a parishioner's garage. So I kind of took five years until we had enough people to add another staff member. So I, I, I know that uh, stage. And, uh, and I had previously come from large churches. So in a large church, you can say things like, hey, they give the success with vision and all that. But, dude, I don't have any success yet. You know, what do I, so what, what I learned to do, and I always coach people to do is you don't have any success yet, but you do have a unique thing that you can offer. What is that? Well, we couldn't offer a children's program that was better than any. We could make it a little better than you expect for 70 people. Uh, when it came to youth, that's out the window. I'm a 28 year old lead pastor. Nobody with kids that old is going to listen to me, but I had one thing to offer Nancy and myself. Mm. so there'd be a bomb so we say hey you want to come over we'd have dinner i remember there was ended up being a generous guy there was a dentist and uh uh he came over and there was a thing long ago that's kind of coming back in now called wallpaper and we bought a house and we were stripping it and this guy comes over hangs out with us as kind of friends and he's stripping wallpaper with us and 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 we're we're, we're bonding uh through that uh, his wife become part of the church and uh, at, at that point, what you have to offer in the earliest days is not your big vision to your stranger, but yourself to your friends and those are strangers that hopefully will become friends because they're going to be the ones defeated in the very beginning. And in fact, there was one larger donor when I first came. And uh, one of the great blessings was when he left, because in that kind of situation, when you're really small and you've got somebody who sees just the money you're just a function for them. You're their chaplain. Uh, they're going, hey, I'm putting money in and you better do everything the way I say. Uh, and that was actually one of my, my early roadblocks. Um, so uh, I, I would say what you always ask is, what can you do incredibly well? And the very beginning of a church plant, you have you, you might have your spouse, uh, the two of you, your family, whatever it is. That's what you connect with. You build, it's called building on islands of strength. Amen. You can't build on islands of weakness. You build on islands of strength. I'd say, I'd say Bob Buford reference, I think, Larry. Uh, that's where I first heard that concept of building on islands of health and strength. And I, I'm wondering too, uh, when you're putting together either a launch team that is going to help you sort of launch the church, or maybe you're already launched and now you're thinking, I'd love to put a, I'd love to put a team of people in place who can help kind of fan this, this idea of generosity and stewardship. Who, who would you be looking for? Who, who might be some of the people that you would look for in your church who might be able to help you build this well, team? I have a little hard time answering that, Chris, in the sense that every church plan is so unique, yeah. you know, I, as my wife was 24, I was 28. You're going to, there's a whole different group of people you're going to reach than if you're doing it at 35 or you're doing it in your early to mid forties. Uh, so uh, I'm not sure I've got a really good answer of, of, of what that would look like. I would know it, it, it had to start with me, even though we were broke, let's be generous when we're broke. Uh, uh, because if I'm not generous when I'm broke, I will not be generous when I win the lottery. And uh, set that pattern. And then, uh, you know, to me, the biggest thing to build on was not high capacity in those early days. The biggest thing to build on 
was just consistency and off the top generosity. Uh, and so that's what I was trying to build on until you get to a point where you have some things that um, have higher financial needs. But uh, I just needed, you know, 10 families that tithe can support a pastor. You know, yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, if they tip, you're always going to be hustling. Larry, do you have any thoughts on whether or not it's a good idea or in what way a pastor might want to at least be um, checking on? That feels like the wrong word, but somehow being having some sort of awareness of the of the giving, the progress that his leaders are making in this journey of generosity, meaning it can really be a bummer if you've got people in positions of influence and leadership who are sort of stuck as givers, right? So how do you, how might a pastor deal with that without getting all kind of creepy? And I mean, I, I don't have a problem with pastors looking at giving data, but how do, how, do you, how do they handle that? I guess is what I'm asking. Well, for me, that's one of the issues we try to look on on the front end, because it's much more difficult after they're already in leadership and they've got all of their mental excuses on why they're not generous to try to approach it. Almost... Almost, by the way, there are outlier exceptions I've known, been involved with, or worked with somebody on. But almost always, if you're trying to deal with it after they're on your board, after they're on your staff, it's too late. Uh, because they're going to come off, well, why are you spying this? Well, maybe I can cash. Right? I mean, all kinds of things that you just don't want to enter that because it's a rabbit hole. You'll go down trying to know what about this. It's, it's just tough. Uh, so you kind of hold it in your head and you go not advance anymore until your stewardship advances. Um, so to me, I'm not looking for amazing giving, but consistent and, and what seems to be generous in light of their job, or you're not going to be put into uh, a major high significant leadership thing. Um, I remember one time, this was about as brutal as I, this is as brutal as I get. Uh, we had a gentleman who was on staff complaining about not getting a raise. This is after I started knowing who gave what. And he was complaining about it. And I just told him, well, I'm, I'm sorry. We have too many people who give like you and your wife. Oh. And, I, and it's like, no, we were not going to give this person a raise when, uh, you know, they were barely doing a tip towards the kingdom. And they might have had a million excuses. Uh, I can think of one case here where, we challenged somebody on staff because remember, we didn't always know that. And we looked and it's like, oh, there's like nothing there. And uh, they just never been talked to or told or anything. They, they stepped up. And by the way, they've risen up in their spiritual maturity as that is a starting point every year and their influence in the ministry here. And not because the number's a big number, they don't make that kind of money, but the, because their heart has shifted and their heart has changed. But normally I would tell people, you better look on the front end because it's not going to change when they're suddenly on your board. Uh, and, and they're going to be the ones who uh, are going to write nasty letters about your stewardship. I've always found that. Anytime we're raising money a little bit or, or anything, almost without fail, the letter that says you're all about money because you did one sermon on something is from somebody who gave $100 over the last two years. And by the way, has a good job. Yeah. Right now. Yeah, I, I think uh, it was John Hanna from Dallas Seminary that used to say, when you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that gets hit barks. 
So you're out there. <laughs> I've got just about that. Say, I have a whiteboard here. Maybe yeah. you see when you've been here with little sayings. There's about 12 that I used to remind me of things. That's one of them, except for the word yelps. Yeah. So, uh, I thought so I was, true. I thought I came up with that myself. Well, we, maybe we both stole it from, maybe John, Hannah, and I both stole it from you. I don't know, but I doubt it. I hear you go. It. But it's so true. And that's funny. And, it, and it's, uh, and I like what you said too a few minutes ago, Larry, about how, you know, sometimes you'll have a conversation with someone who's stuck in their giving and it's not a gotcha thing. It's not like a beating. It's a, Hey, listen, you're, you're, you're missing out on an opportunity to sort of follow the Lord in an important area. And you get the response like you got from that one staff couple that said, okay, we're going to, you know what? Thanks for pointing that out. We're going to do the, yeah. we're going to take our next it's, step. It's some version of help me understand. And there's yeah. two ways of saying, help me understand. One is help me understand. And then there is really no help me understand. I love that. And it's important to have the second one. Yeah. Greg, where do you want to go from here? We're, we're wrapping up here. We're looking for uh, any questions that people might have. But, Greg, are you anything you're sitting on that you wanted yeah. to get in here? Yeah, you know, I, I tell you, Chris, and, and, and you know this as well as I do. We, we experience this all the time. You know, one of the things, and, and it's kind of on this it's kind of a counterpart of this favoritism issue because that, that one comes up a lot is, well, we don't want to, I don't want to know um, what people give because this old James thing. And, and I'm a big advocate for the fact that, you know, giving data tells us a lot and it presents a lot of pastoral opportunities. And, 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 um, and so I'm an advocate for knowing obviously, but uh, you know, one of the others here is Matthew six, you know, you, you know, don't let, don't let your, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing kind of thing. That's one of the, right. Why right. Getting, how, how do you, I've got a way I explain that to people and, and kind of talk to them. <laughs> how, tell me how you do that. Well, uh, to me, it's uh, uh, quite easy to explain because you look at the context of it uh, in the context of that. He's talking about people who do things for the reward. Right. And, and uh, by the way, he doesn't call it sin. He calls it stupidity. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I tell somebody, if, if you'll give me a million dollars and uh, if we name the building after you, I'll take your million dollars. You know, great. Thanks. We'll name the building after you. But I think you're an idiot because you just took a temporary pat in the back and a reward of esteem and uh, you're going to get nothing for it in heaven because mm -hmm. your intent was that other people see it. So there's a huge difference between knowing what what people do and uh, the idea of hiding it. Uh, so don't let your right or left hand know. I mean, there's a treasure there. That's what always got me. So I have a treasure who knows uh, uh, where the money comes from. The checks are signed. We send out an IRS thing. But as a pastor, I, I'm not spiritual enough to be able to know that and treat people appropriately. I mean, and there was a time I went uh, to our largest donor, knowing he was our largest donor at that particular point. And uh, he had a bad business reputation and he wanted because he's a brand new Christian and he wanted to step forward and help us. And I told our board, I might be losing our largest donor, but we got to do the right thing. And I sat down with a gentleman and said, I can't let you represent us because this is your uh, reputation. Uh, now, the beauty of it, because I knew he's the largest donor, I responded differently uh, when he did it, but I challenged him. And, and the real beauty was, he says, well, what do I do? And my advice to him was never negotiate again yourself because you just don't, I don't think you'll ever be able to leave a penny on the table. 
Uh, and, uh, and, and so I named a guy that was a partner of his. I said, let him and you stay out of the meetings. You're brilliant with math, all this. Stay out of the meetings. And he took me up on it. And he's, he's still probably one of our top eight, ten donors uh, uh, to this day. Well, had I not known nothing. But anyway, that passage in context is about your motivation and about your reward. Uh, it, it's not about it's sinful. Otherwise, Jesus sure robbed the poor widow's might. Exactly. Uh, and uh, Paul does a whole bunch of stuff as well, like keeps mm -hmm. losing his reward. And it's so that you're exactly right because we know how many we know how many mites the widow put into that public offering because Jesus counted them on the way in. One, and, two. In the Book of Acts, we've already talked about Barnabas. Yeah, it's like uh, he publicly sold the field, and that's not criticized; that's praised. So, yeah. it's it's what's your motivation? That's so good. Well, Larry, we could continue to talk for quite a while about this topic with you. It's it's so. Um, it's just great to have your perspective. I appreciate the way you you kind of you always shake up what I consider to be some conventional wisdom on something, and I, I you tend to make it even clearer. Like for example, I'll I, I'm an, I made a note this idea of the the difference between focusing on strategy and focusing on fruit. I might have to roll that around in my head for a little while because that it just it just feels true to me, and it doesn't mean that you just sort of flitter around and just do crazy stuff, but it does mean your your focus is less on the stuff that you're doing and perhaps a little bit more on the outcomes. And I think that makes a lot of sense. But anyway, I just always feel very thankful for opportunities to connect with you. I want to make sure that people know about something that you're involved in, which is super cool before we leave. You, along with a mutual friend of ours, Greg and I know Nathan Art very well and Darren Young very well, have created an enterprise called Executive Leadership Solutions, which Right, Larry, it's sort of this cool opportunity for people to come together in either a cohort experience or maybe in kind of a, a two or three day kind of innovation lab or accelerated process to just get some great focus and encouraging and mentoring. Tell us a little bit about that idea, where it came from, kind of how you guys are doing it and and then I'll let people know how they can how they can plug in. Yeah, and and actually, I it, it's like when you say you guys, they're doing it, and I just like them so well, I'm helping. So I'm not right. like actually a part uh, in the sense like this is my thing. It's I'm a part because I look at it and I say, you guys, I love what you're doing. I love your heart, and uh, any way I can help, I'll help. So because of that, you'll you'll find me uh, being a part of some of the things that they do. Uh, you can find out all about them the quick way. It's just that E L. Uh, um, uh, uh, solutions, not solutions, el.solutions. And uh, Nathan has always worked with some of the larger church uh, churches because uh, of the field that he works in with ministry solutions and buildings and all of that. And therefore, some of the talk, uh, top uh, executive pastors. I remember the first time he asked me to speak, I walked in the room and said, how in the world did you get these 35 guys together? And and then I found out how, just word of mouth and, and all that they do. And so they're expanding that to uh, teams. They've got some three-day things. I know North Coast is hosting one May 18th to 20th. Ooh. It's a three-day event to look at both how do we come out of this strong, both physical and digital. Uh, and then uh, they've got some co cohorts as well. So the easiest way to do that is just go there and, uh, and take a peek. And if anybody wants to stay in contact with me, 
All they need to do is uh, my my last name, O-S-B-O-R-N-E, add the E, the Osborne's without an E or horse thieves, I was taught. But uh, if they'll text Osborne to 44222. Uh, so my last name, Osborne, to two, two, uh, 44222, uh, they can stay in contact not only with these sort of things, but the others we're doing as well. So good. Larry, thank you so much. You're, you're, you're just a great friend and a resource, and we're so thankful. Let me remind folks, too, that if you want any information that we can offer you at Elevate Group, our web address is elevategroup.us. And again, that free resource that you can download, uh, that I think is still there in the chat box for you to take a look at and go ahead and click it. And we'd love to help you with that if we can. I want yeah. to thank my, my partner in crime here, Greg Morris, for joining us. Greg, it's great, it's great to be on this podcast journey together with you. So thanks for doing your thing. Absolutely. And thank you, Larry. We appreciate it. Yeah. All right, everybody. We'll, uh, we'll be back again in a couple of weeks. We've got another great guest lined up more conversation about how to elevate generosity and stewardship and giving in your church. And again, we just want to say thanks so much to Larry Osborne for joining us. Thanks, Larry. You're welcome.